chose you from the beginning to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. To this he called you through our gospel, so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brethren, stand firm and hold to the traditions which you are taught by us, either by word of mouth or by letter. From the second epistle of St. Paul to the Thessalonians, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. We hear, we hear St. Paul write this morning, God chose you from the beginning to be saved. Many people coming to Anglican churches for the first time are shocked to find that we believe and profess belief in the doctrine of predestination. In fact, many are shocked to find that Catholic Christians of all stripes, including Roman Catholics, profess belief in predestination and have done so since the time of the New Testament and especially since St. Augustine. Our own articles state, predestination to life is the, etern- is the everlasting purpose of God, where- whereby before the foundations of the world were laid, he hath constantly decreed by his counsel secret to us to deliver from curse and damnation those whom he hath chosen in Christ out of mankind and to bring them by Christ to everlasting salvation as vessels made to honor. Isn't that beautiful? On Sundays like this one, on which we not only baptize four young children, but on which we also commemorate all the saints of God in ages past, it is important to remember that what makes us saints is not our own effort or our own decision to follow Christ, but the eternal purposes of God. Now, I should state from the onset that the Catholic and Anglican doctrine of predestination does not by necessity include a doctrine of so-called double predestination, but only speaks to the purpose of God in saving and bringing men and women to glory. We believe all of this primarily because it is expressly biblical. St. Paul enjoins us regularly to be reminded that our salvation is not the result of our works or even on account of our faith, but first and foremost, on account of God's purposes and plan. That plan and purpose entails sanctification by the Holy Spirit and a belief in the truth, both summed up in the sacrament of holy baptism. In the ancient church, these two were intimately tied together. Indeed, it was the conviction of the fathers that one could not even come to profess the faith unless the Holy Spirit had so moved them. People became Christians through the waters of baptism because they had found the grace of God active in their lives, leading them to repentance and leading them to submit to the authority and teaching of their newfound mother, the church. They submitted to her catechesis, her doctrine, her discipline, and consented also to her sacraments, being baptized with water for the forgiveness of sins, being made sons and daughters of the Most High God by adoption and grace, being made vessels of honor and glory and members of Christ's body, the church. For this reason, it was most fitting that even infant children of Christians also be baptized. St. Augustine believed the baptism of infants to be apostolic in origin, And it shows us a connection that I want to make clearly today, the connection between baptism and the apostolic faith. Augustine writes this, 
The custom of Mother Church in baptizing infants is certainly not to be scorned, nor is it to be regarded in any way as superfluous. I would hope that you wouldn't think after we do all this this morning, oh, that's just superfluous. I mean, the solemnity with which we do it should tell you otherwise. Nor, he says, is it believed, to, is it believed that, this, that its tradition is anything except apostolic. We read from Paul's epistle to the second epistle to the Thessalonians today, God chose you from the beginning to be saved through sanctification by the spirit and belief in the truth. To this he called you through our gospel so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's what we say about these children today, that God chose them from the beginning to be saved through sanctification by the spirit and belief in the truth. Paul's conviction on this is clear. The Christian is set apart, sanctified in the waters of baptism by the Holy Spirit, who is the actor in holy baptism. And we are not baptized just into water, but into the very centerpiece of creedal faith, the life, death, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Indeed, many ancient Christians were baptized as they professed that faith in the words of the Apostles' Creed. Paul writes to the Romans this, all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Today, we are putting four small children to death. Make no mistake about that. That is what is going on. They are to be buried with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, they too might walk in newness of life. Paul also writes to the Galatians, For as many of you who are baptized into Christ have put on Christ. This is illuminated for us in the act of putting on a white baptismal garment. You'll see something different about the way you may have seen baptism done before. Is the child is not baptized in the garment, but puts it on afterwards to be an imaging forth of putting on Christ. This is not the language of a mere symbol, however, but of sacramental participation in the body of Christ by an effectual sign of regeneration by the Holy Spirit being given a new life in Christ. And that new life includes, as a necessary part, a lively faith and a life of good works. But all of this is the gift of God who purposes it, who plans it, and indeed planned and decreed it to happen this very day from ages past. Thus, we must hold that if it is God's will that these children be sanctified and reborn, they must also grow up firm in the faith, resolute in that apostolic and Catholic faith which their parents and godparents and the whole of our congregation also proclaim. For many today, the fact of one's baptism is used as a license to depart from the apostolic faith. As if to say, I'm baptized, it doesn't matter what I believe. Or, at times, I'm baptized, it doesn't matter how I live either. No, may that never be for these children. 
Neither the New Testament or the fathers allow any of that for a moment. Rather, to be marked as Christ's own in baptism is to be marked as one who has taken on total fidelity to Jesus Christ. Total fidelity to the faith as given by him to the apostles, which we received as well, and which we also have the duty to proclaim. Paul calls upon the Thessalonian church to stand firm in the traditions which they were taught, either by letter, by which we understand to be scripture, or by word of mouth, by which we understand that oral tradition of the apostles. Christian believing, contrary to what many say today, is not a matter of personal interpretation, but a matter of receiving, preserving, keeping, and passing on the faith just as it was given to us. And today, we give that faith and sanctification which God decreed for us as objects of glory to these children. Not so that we can all forget about it and say, isn't that great? Isn't that sweet? We can ooh and ah and all those other things that you do at baptisms. Yes, of course we'll do that. But it is not only for this. It is so that the faith may be maintained in them to their lives' end. So that they may proclaim that faith even in glory. That is the call of every Christian parent, and by the way, godparents as well, to constant catechesis, to teach their children to think and believe as Christians, to teach them to pray and to teach them to live as saints, for that is what they are. This is again the eternal purpose of God, and he grants all graces necessary to that end. I want you to pay attention this morning to the grace that we will see. Now, of course, you can't see grace, can you? But we can see the signs of it. Children so very helpless, born in sin, born to die, are raised up from water, living vessels of redemption, made sons and daughters of God by grace. Children are granted the forgiveness of sins, Not just a one-time pardon, but a lifetime of forgiveness. The opportunity to repent of their sin and turn to the forbearance of God their Father. And the Lord Jesus Christ wrought on the cross. Children are even given the gifts of the indwelling Holy Spirit. God indwelling them in power, endowing them with the gifts and fruits of the Holy Spirit working in them virtue of a heavenly kind, a kind in which they are not born, but reborn. Children are granted access to the sacred mysteries of the Lord's body and blood. All of these are signs to us that these children were not made for condemnation, but in the image of God to be objects of glory, to be like Jesus who himself became a little child, who himself was born under the law to redeem us. In short, we see the gospel this morning. And the gospel is that God chose us. The gospel is that God 
gave his life for us. The gospel is God loving and saving us, especially and even when we were totally and completely lost. Brothers and sisters, let this day, let us this day rejoice that we too are made children of God by grace. And let us strive for the faith and strain forward in glory. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.